I can be incredibly pessimistic about our politics, but I've never been more bullish on the country. America is in great shape because I know a lot of people are hyperventilating about the first Tuesday of November, but they're missing it. The most important day is the first Wednesday of November. Because the first Wednesday of November, you know what's going to happen? doesn't matter whether Donald Trump wins another round or Joe Biden wins or something else happens. Unicorns come. (laughs) The thing that matters is Wednesday morning is going to come. And you know what's going to happen in this country? People are going to get up and they're going to go to work and they're going to help a neighbor in need. And that teacher's going to stay after class and help that fifth grader. And that fifth grader's going to stand up to a bully. And all of that is outside of any of the politics and any of the marbled halls in any state house or capitol building it's the one thing i keep telling people you keep hearing the politicians say this is a battle for the heart and soul of america that's just wrong this is jeff burningham and this is the us podcast. Today, we're excited to have a very special guest with us. Here is the purpose of the podcast. What can we learn from the people around us? And how do we make a difference? I I personally believe that 99% plus of the people in the world are good. They're trying their very best. They have things to teach us. No matter our differences, we are all a lot more alike than we often realize. A goal of this podcast is to elicit more compassion and less comparing to those around us. Another is to eradicate fear. We too often let mistakes of the past or fear for an unknown future destroy our happiness and stunt our progress moving forward. These are the stories of people you may or may not have heard of that will change your life for the better. Today, I'm very excited to welcome in a a friend of mine, someone that I would not have met or may not have met if I hadn't run for governor. And this podcast was inspired by the thousands of people that I, amazing people that I ran into running for governor. One of the most amazing to me and one of the people that I look up to the most in the state is with us today, Boyd Matheson. Great to be with you. The best dressed <laughs> podcast guest we have ever had. Yeah, I, you know, if you have a face for radio, you gotta you gotta wear something else. So it's my only shot. My, I, I learned that from my grandpa, who you know took me golfing at the the big country club, and uh, I showed up, and he immediately took me to the pro club, uh, <laughs> got me some shoes, and he said, regardless of how you play, if you look good. Yeah. You'll be all right. <laughs> hey, well, you look good. And hey, you have hair for TV. Yeah. I'll tell you that. This has been a good hair day on the podcast, except for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, Boyd, you know, Boyd and I met while I was running for governor. In fact, I remember the day of my launch, which was, was that September 10th last year, Michael? Do you, about then, about one year ago, right Sounds now, right. Yeah. that I launched and I went into KSL. I had I had done some interviews for business, et cetera, but not a lot. And Boyd was one of the first. Yeah. And you were nice to me, and I appreciated uh, getting to know you on the radio several times with you while I was running. It, isn't it? Aren't we living in a fascinating time? <laughs> it is a fascinating time to be sure. And uh, and I and I love the whole premise of the podcast uh, that we're gonna we're gonna learn. It's gonna be about understanding and compassion. Uh, and there's so much to learn. And it is one of the great things that as long as you get up every day and think, okay, I'm gonna meet someone today, or I'm gonna interact with someone today. And they're going to teach me something, and I better be ready to learn something. Yeah. Uh, that's a good day. It is a good day. And a- another part of the motivation was just the divisiveness in our country, and our state. It's such a toxic – I was um, exposed to this toxic climate as a mm-hmm. candidate like I had never been before. And so you have all these inspiring people doing good things. You have this terribly toxic media environment, social media environment. Where is the good content? I know that you're working on some of that. I love your opinion pieces. By the way, and just in quick background, Boyd, if you don't know, is the opinion editor at the Deseret News. He ran the Sutherland Institute here in the state of Utah and was also Senator Lee, Mike Lee's chief of staff. Correct, Boyd? That's right. Is there anything – what else would you like to <laughs> fill in there for in terms of background? Uh, let's see. Uh, you know, most important, uh, I have seven sisters. So, Oh, wow. Are you the only boy? <laughs> no, no, no. There were, okay. there were four boys, so 11 kids in the family. But the first six were girls, so okay. that's always an important kind of benchmark. I was properly trained and schooled. Uh, growing up, but uh, you know, awesome. it, it, it's a uh, it, it's all about finding, and it, and it is actually probably something that I learned. Uh, really, I learned it from my dad. But but growing up in a family of eleven, 
you realize that there is extraordinary strength in diversity. Yeah. Because uh, we had 11 kids, and we had one of everything. Yeah. Uh, and some we weren't quite sure what they were. <laughs> <laughs> but I learned something from every single one of them. In fact, as a, as a missionary in Japan, I was talking to this uh, older gentleman, and we were just kind of talking, and he was learning about my family and some of those things. And, and he just stopped partway through, and he said, he says, you know you're not one person, right? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, you, you've taken all of these little pieces from your siblings and from your parents, uh, and it's part of your perspective, and it's part of who you are. And so I, I think I learned that valuing, that oneness is not sameness. You can yeah. be focused on one common goal, uh, but sameness is not the answer. Exactly. And and that's, we are all a lot more alike than we think. We want a lot of the same things, but we're all diverse. And there's yeah. strength and diversity. We're all very different, right? Yeah. In fact, we, le- we learned some really interesting things. Uh, so we have a, a partnership with Scott Rasmussen, national pollster, of course. And uh, really interesting. We actually found, we found something that 93% of Americans agree on. Oh, Wow. What and when he first gave me the number, I'm like, no chance. I mean, you can't get 93% of Americans to agree that the sky is blue yeah. uh, on a good day. But 93% of Americans believe that it is important for our leaders to unify the country. 93%. But then here's the really interesting thing. Hmm. 73% of those people believe that the way to start to unite the nation is through the founding principles. Freedom, justice, equality, opportunity. Yep. And so for all of this divisiveness that we hear, and you saw that on the, the campaign trail, Jeff, that you hear the divisive, but those are the extremes on both ends. Yeah. The vast majority, the country is not that divided. I, I don't buy it. And okay. you, you saw it. You traveled the state. You know we are not that divided. You have loud voices. I, I agree in with that, end. actually. That's kind of the feeling you get if you're on social media a lot. Yeah. That's yeah. certainly the feeling from the media. But no, I don't feel that in the heartland of Utah, you yeah. know, at yeah. all. Or anywhere else in the country. Yeah. Uh, and, and what you have to recognize is that the people who want us to believe that are doing that for a reason. Mm-hmm. It keeps them in power. Mm. Because as long as they can convince us that we're too divided as a nation to deal with race or inequality, or health care, or immigration, the status quo remains, and the people in power remain in power. And so the, the message to all of us is, yeah, we're not that different. You can take, we actually did studies on this. You can take a, a Democratic, hardcore Democratic family and a hardcore Republican family, two kids each, da da da, da. Their lives are the same. Yeah. They get up in the morning. They go to work. They yeah. they work hard. They take care of their kids. They make a difference in their community. They coach little league. They, they try. They their go best. to church. Yeah. They do their best. And that's why that's why I can be incredibly pessimistic about our politics. But I've never been more bullish on the country. America is in great shape because I know a lot of people are hyperventilating about the first Tuesday of November that's yeah. rapidly approaching. Yep. But they're missing it. The most important day that we're going to experience is the first Wednesday of November. Because the first Wednesday of November, you know what's going to happen? doesn't matter whether Donald Trump wins another round or Joe Biden wins yeah. or some, something else happens. Unicorns come. The thing, <laughs> the thing that matters is Wednesday morning is going to come. The first Wednesday of November is going to come. And you know what's going to happen in this country? People are going to get up and they're going to go to work and they're going to help a neighbor in need. And that teacher's going to stay after class and help that fifth grader. And that fifth grader is going to stand up to a bully. And all of that is outside of any of the politics and any of the marbled halls in any state house or Capitol building. Uh, it's the one thing I keep telling people. Where you keep hearing the politicians say this is a battle for the heart and soul of America. That's just wrong. Yeah, I love the, this. The heart, You're exactly right. <laughs> the heart and soul of America is not in Washington, D.C. It's not in the state capitol. It's not in some secure vault somewhere. The heart and soul of America is in the heart and soul of the American people. Yeah, absolutely. And, so, And it's really that idea. It's this idea of freedom that knits us together, yeah, right? It's these right. founding principles that bring us together yeah. that are more important than anything that's happening on a daily basis. Yeah. I love that uh, perspective that the first most important day or the most important <laughs> day is the first Wednesday in November. Because yeah. you're right. It will be the same kind of day. Yeah. We'll wake we're, up. We're going to get up and go to, go to work. And that's that is the secret sauce of what's it happening. I said sauce. on the campaign trail a lot that the secret sauce of what's happening here in Utah in terms of the economy and other things are yeah. the people. It's yeah. the entrepreneurs. It's not about the government. 
we have good government yeah. leaders, but it's not about as the government. Yeah. Same as the state. I mean, same yeah. as the country. That's right. It's about the people. Yeah. And it's about these principles that unify us in a deeper way and in a deeper purpose. Yeah. That's the secret. It, you know, it is the, the special. Yeah. And there's so many people out there, especially today, you know, in the midst of a pandemic and all the other things, there are a lot of people who are just weary out there. They're just exhausted. Uh, and it can get discouraging because you do get that constant feed of the negative and the partisanship and all of those things. But the other thing we have to remember as we the people is that our politicians have never led. Ever. Ever. Go back to the beginning. Yeah. So we we celebrate the Declaration of Independence as an inspired document, which it was. Yeah. Great galvanizing document. Yeah. But it was not a leading document. The Revolutionary War had been going on for 18 months before the politicians got around to putting it on paper. Yeah. Now, that was important. That was critical. But you can go through our history and its culture and community that lead and the politicians follow. I mean, look at, look at, uh, look at race. Jackie Robinson, 1947, broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball. It was 17 years later. 17 years later, Congress finally got around to doing some serious civil rights legislation. So it's community and culture that lead. And the politicians follow. And we, the people, have to remember that because it's easy to, to look to Washington or to the state capitol or to the governor's office or whatever it is and think that they're going to lead. They're not going to lead. They don't. Lead. We're going to lead. Yes. I love that. This is one of the, my big takeaways from running for governor is – and it, this is too harsh, but a lot of politics, it's fake leadership. It's faux leadership, meaning it's – Kind of pretending to lead, but not really leading. That's right. You're right. You're right at the front of the parade line. I'm leading I'm the parade. I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. And when things are good, you're at yeah, the front carrying right. the baton. When things are bad, no one can find you. That's right. It's like, where where did the politicians go? They're, they're all they're in the no, middle somewhere. Yeah. yeah, they're hiding in the middle. Uh, that's exactly right. So it's about the people. Boyd, how do we change this? How do we get this? What are you doing specifically? I know you're doing a lot. Tell us more and tell our listeners how you are getting these messages out, these positive messages and the truth. The truth is what it is. Yeah. You're telling that it's community that leads. It's the people that lead. We aren't as divided as as we think we are. There's a reason why that's the message we're getting. What are you doing in your job and in your life? What do you do to make sure that people understand these? Yeah, well, it's, it's podcasts like this. Uh, honestly, uh, it is everyone who is willing to have a voice and to raise it. And to showcase, look, this is why we should be excited about who we are and where we can go as a country. And we have some people who are out there who are trying to convince us that the founding of the nation is evil and we're based on a lie. And, and you can go through all of those things. Yep, everybody knows. And when people hear it, this is the interesting thing, is when people hear that principle, they, they may not be able to articulate it. Like there's probably not a lot of people thinking, what I need today is a Jeff Birmingham podcast. <laughs> what do you mean? Everyone's thinking, yeah, there's probably not I don't know, a lot. I don't know what focus group yeah. is going to come up and say, yeah, that's that's what I want. But here's the here's a fascinating thing. Yeah. So the vast majority of the American people are, they fall into this class that uh, I call the movable middle. It's about 21% of the population. So they kind of span from center left to center right. Interestingly, these are not independents if you look at it from a political perspective. They're either registered Democrats or registered Republicans. But most of them have disconnected mm -hmm. from the process. Mm -hmm. It's only 21%? 21%. Okay. So they've disconnected, and the reason they've disconnected is for all the reasons we've been talking about. Too divisive, too polarized, and they're just too busy living their lives. Like, I can't even watch the news anymore. I, no way I'm going on social media. No way I'm going to weigh in at a city council meeting. Yeah. And so they've disconnected from the process. But here's the amazing thing that you will never hear anywhere. There's only four things that will get that group of people to re-engage in the process. I'm ready. Hit me. By the way, I'm surprised that it's not more than 21. Yeah. And it, is that growing? It is growing. Okay. Yeah, it's growing in a big way. The only thing that's going to get these people re-engaged is community, compassion, <laughs> self-reliance, and opportunity or upward mobility. Wow. Those are the principles that they want to hear about and talk about. And you're not hearing the Democrats talk about this. You're not hearing the Republicans talking talking about this. Uh, but this is a group that, again, sometimes they're referred to as the silent majority. Sometimes, you know, there are all these different ways to, to couch that. But the thing that I'm trying to remind people, you know, through my writing, through radio, through, you know, appearances, uh, is that, one, 
we agree on these principles, and they just they ring true. It doesn't matter where you go. I did a uh, I did an interview at uh, four twenty four this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Been a long day on on uh, uh, Sky News in from London. Okay. And they're, of course, they're fascinated to look at what's going on in American politics. Yeah. It's good sport for them. I think yeah. it goes back to, you know, I don't know, King George or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they like, they to, like to observe they like to the blood that. sport. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and so it was interesting. So we, we were going back and forth, and uh, they had another commentator on with me who was clearly a, a very far-left uh, Democrat operative. And it was just an interesting conversation because uh, this person I was on with, the answer to every question— was an anger-filled rant uh, about the current occupant of the White House. And it didn't matter what the question was. It was evil this, awful that, horrible this, no, you know, on and on and on. And they finally got to this whole thing of, well, you know, this is the most important election of our lifetime. And, and so I jumped in and I said, I said, that's just silly. Every election is the most important election because it's the only one we have. Yeah. And then we got into this whole heart and soul, battle for the heart and soul of the country. And I said, they're not going to find it. And I said, Wh- whichever political entity starts talking about community, they start talking about compassion, because so often we make it, we make these false choices. Mm-hmm. We have these fake fights in Washington, present a false choice. And, and so it's looking at something like immigration and saying, you know what? Rule of law and compassion are compatible principles. Yes. But too often we're we're given that false choice. So so how do we do that? We communicate that to the people that look there. There's another way to think about this. You don't have to buy into the talking points of the extremes on either end, and you can have a conversation about principle. And when you when you get to that, everyone goes, "Oh yeah, get it. I want that." Yeah. Uh, just a real quick example. Back in uh, 2016, really interesting. Um, that was when I uh, wrapped up my period as chief of staff. My shelf life was you know chief of staff for a chief. Uh, shelf life for a chief of staff is usually about 18 months. <laughs> so I was like way past my use by date. Yeah. Uh, but when I stepped down, I was in Florida right before the uh, presidential primary. And I suddenly found myself with a day and I had nobody I had to staff. <laughs> <laughs> it's like go. freedom. Yeah. And so I had a very interesting day and I went to a Scott Walker rally. I went to a Marco Rubio rally. I went to a Donald Trump rally. And I went to a Ted Cruz rally, hmm. all vastly different in terms of style and approach and feel. But this is my, what you choose to do with your free I, day, by the way. Which is just a little freaky. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> just take note of that. that okay. But keep going. Yeah. I, I, you are going to give me a therapy session for that later, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so I went to each of those. And then the really interesting thing was not actually the events themselves. It was walking around afterwards and talking to the people. Yeah. And when you talk to all of those people, that's some pretty diverse uh, group in terms of, you know, who are you voting for? Mm-hmm. But the when you started to talk about the principles, they were like, oh, yeah, I want to be part of that. Yeah, I didn't hear that today. But if they could do that, then, yeah, I'd totally be in for that. Uh, and so it is. It, it goes back to these core principles that still ring true. And it doesn't matter where you go. And it doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you're on. There are things that just ring true to the American people. And as long as we get back to that country's in great shape and we're going to be just fine. We can, we can weather any of the other stuff as long as, as citizens, we don't forget what the principles are. And again, there's that natural tug again, going back to the Rasmus thing. If 73% of the people say, yeah, I think the, I think there is a way to unite the nation. And the way to do that is through those founding principles. That's, uh, that is incredibly telling. That's what's powerful. Yeah. I, I mean, it's those principles, like I said, that bind us together to, that give us hope and that, have us wake up and do those small daily things every yeah, day, right? That's right. That really create the fabric of our community, our society, like you said. 2020, what a year. What's going on, Boyd? <laughs> like, uh, you know, we started this year with hope and optimism, and it's been, it feels like it's been kind of down, down, down. Obviously, COVID has been very destructive. It played an interesting role in the in the governor's race sure. here in Utah. It's played an interesting role, of course, in any every political race, but more importantly, in the lives of yeah. families and in the economy. 
Um, you know, I, I don't give us give me your take on 2020 so far. I'm just curious, and it hasn't just been COVID. <laughs> Remember, this is a true story. I was at the whatever the day the earthquake was. Uh-huh. I was at the Capitol filing my paperwork. I was literally <laughs> signing in the in the lieutenant governor's office yeah. or whatever, signing the paperwork to be a. a you know, a candidate for governor and the Capitol started shaking and aftershock, I just, yeah. <laughs> aftershock, uh, it's been a crazy year. It Obviously has. the social unrest that we see and that, that continues and is heartbreaking. What do you, I don't know. What do you take from 2020 so far? So I think, I think there's a couple of interesting lessons from 2020. Uh, one is, uh, it's just that people are weary. So we do have to, to recognize that, that it is, it is a little exhausting. It's been kind of a whipsaw kind of year with, uh, one thing after another, uh, but again, I think the the important thing is we, we've sort of framed it incorrectly. So early on, a lot of people say, "Well, this is the this is the new normal," and and I think that's I just, hate that term. It's wrong thinking. Yeah. It's just wrong thinking. It's a it's just a new now, because the the lesson the lesson from all of our challenges and trials and obstacles is that you have to learn how to be present to the moment, because if you're not present. Uh, you're robbing yourself of a whole lot of happiness on one hand, and you're creating a whole lot of misery on the other. Uh, so let me give you an example. Uh, if you have someone with, with chronic pain, chronic pain is a really interesting thing. Whether that's physical pain or emotional pain, it's actually the same. Mm. And so if you have someone and suddenly they, they experience that pain, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to look back, and they're going to look at how awful it was last time they experienced that pain. And that's horrible. That can send you down a really dark cycle really fast. Yeah. But then the other thing that happens is they start to project forward that this is the new normal and this pain is going to continue. And because this pain is going to continue, I'm going to miss my son's soccer game or I'm going to miss that piano recital or I'm going to miss this you know, assignment at work. My boss is going to be mad. And so suddenly they're going these two directions because they're not present to the moment. Yeah. And that's horrible pain. Yeah. And a lot of us are experiencing that with the pandemic. Because we look back and we say, oh, well, you know, wasn't that great before? Yeah, the good old days. <laughs> da, da, da. But then we think this is the new normals. So we're actually projecting current status in perpetuity. Yeah. And that creates anger, fear, resentment, frustration, all the negative emotions. And so a lot of people are feeling ex- that is exhausting. You want to talk about mental gymnastics. Yeah. You start playing in that game. And so learning to just be still and present to the moment solves a multitude of problems. And it also allows you to actually experience more joy yeah. because you can actually be present because we're not trying to capture anything. Uh, I, I remember being, uh, my favorite place when, when I was in DC was Arlington. Uh, and we actually had a relationship through the Senate office. Uh, we were kind of the custodians of the Sentinels uh, mm. who march in front of the, the Tomb of the Unknown there wow. at Arlington. Yeah. So we got to go behind the scenes cool. and see how they prepare and how they get ready. Uh, but I'll never forget, I was there, I was there uh, one summer day uh, with, my, with two of my kids. And, I mean, I just love those Sentinels. The preparation, if, if your listeners have not gone through, go on YouTube and just look at the preparation for a Sentinel. As to, it is on. It has got to be the hardest preparation and the most demanding thing anywhere. Wow! Like they'll polish their shoes for four hours because everything they do shows respect for those who gave that last full measure of devotion, that ultimate sacrifice. And so, I mean, it's it's just an amazing experience. Everybody should study the Sentinels. I mean, their discipline, their focus. So. I was there with my kids and I just wanted them to experience the power of, of that. And so we're, we're standing there and they, you know, start the, the process of doing the changing of the guard. And there was this moment where it was just silent. Every, everything just was hush. And so I'm kind of just watching this whole moment. And then my daughter, Sarah leans over and, and she says, dad, they're missing it. And I, I looked around because I was so focused on what was going on. And I looked around and you had everybody's taking a selfie and everybody's shooting a video and everyone's clicking pictures. Mm-hmm. And they were so obsessed with capturing the moment yep. to prove that they were there. So when they look back or when they project and send it you know, to their friends or post it on social media, they completely missed the essence of the moment. 
Yeah. And we do that in so many different ways. Yeah, I, I'd speak to a bunch of groups. In fact, I'm, I'm speaking uh, tonight somewhere, and I talk about kind of the ever-present now. The way, here's the little secret of success. Show up as your best self or the best you can possibly be in that moment with all that you're carrying, all the challenges you have now and then again and again, just consistently show yeah. up in the now. now. You don't need to project forward yeah. about a future, an unknown future that we don't know about, which is scary. And you don't really either. It's not good to dwell on mistakes in the past. We've yeah. all made them. Yeah. There's, you, you show up as your best self now. And then now, and then again, and again. I think that's a powerful yeah, that ability to story be, that you share. Yeah, that, that ability to be still is so critical. Uh, I was sharing with a group last night. Uh, there's the old, there's the biblical account. If you look in the New Testament, and uh, everybody's heard of that, you know, that moment when you, you had the disciples on the boat in the stormy sea, and you know the winds howling and the waves are crashing, and they're worried they're gonna they're gonna die. And so, what are they doing? They're all rushing around trying to save themselves, you know, yeah. oh, we got to do this, or we need to change this, oh, we got to do this. And and Jesus gets up and says, be still. And I don't care what faith tradition you're, you're from, he was not talking to the wind and the waves. <laughs> he was talking to the disciples, yeah. saying, just be still. And there are so many points in our lives, especially in the midst of a pandemic, that if we would just do that, just be still and just try that. You know, put your phone away for 20 minutes yeah. and just be still. In fact, I, I always tell people the, the real key to mastering anything is in the power of 1%. So, Jeff, if I asked you for 1% of your 24-hour day, you'd, you'd probably say, 1%? Yeah, I can do that. It's like if I gave you a buck, would you give me a penny back? Yeah, sure, that's 1%. <laughs> yeah. So 1% of 24 hours is 14.4 minutes. Anybody can do anything for 14.4 minutes. Now, it's amazing how often we waste 1% here flicking through social media, yeah. waste 1% there watching some crazy show or watching cat videos on, you know, <laughs> online. Uh, but it's also amazing what you can actually get done in just 14.4 minutes. I mean, obviously, I do a lot of writing, and it used to be for me, if I didn't have a couple-hour block to write – like, you know, because you got to get in the mood and you got to yeah. warm up and you got to do a little research. But my life doesn't function in two hour blocks. Yeah. If I get 15 minutes in between a meeting or 15 minutes before my show or after this or whatever, uh, I have to be able to maximize that. Yeah. And, and if you can maximize and master being present for 1% of your day at a time. Watch out. Yeah. It's and then amazing it, what you can get done. And then if that becomes a habit and you can replicate that over days, months, years, yeah. it's the power of that slight edge, right? Yeah. Or the small and simple things that yeah. become big things over a lifetime. Yeah. No yeah. doubt about it. Exactly. You've already shared with us so many how would you sum up your life? Obviously, you've had an amazing career, a very interesting background and working on exciting things right now. How would you sum up your life so far? You know, like life lessons learned. You've already shared a lot. Is there is there another lesson that you would kind of share with our listeners? So, you know, so my, my life and career is sort of the uh, testament to if you ever want to make God laugh, <laughs> just tell me your plan for your life, you know, because <laughs> it's always changing. Yeah. And uh, and so one, one, be ready for that kind of change. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that focus always precedes success in anything you're doing. Uh, kind of back to that 1% model. You know, sometimes people say, well, I can't plan my day because it's just one interruption after another. Uh, but again, it's that focus and understanding what is the essence of who you are, what is the essence of your opportunity for impact. And as long as you know what that is, you'll be in good shape. If you don't, then you'll experience uh, something like a lot of people, especially those who now find themselves working from home. Yeah. Suddenly you find you've been blessed with a 15-minute window of open time. And so what do you do? You hesitate, you vacillate, you think, well, I could work on project A or I could work on project B or I could call this person or I could send this email and you go back and forth. And the next thing you do, you go to the fridge yeah. <laughs> and get a slice That's of pizza yeah. and a drink and, and, and then you've blown it and because then it's done. gone. Yeah, it's gone. And so that ability to immediately act mm -hmm. based on your principles, based on your vision, your focus uh, is is just absolutely vital, and it does. It you were alluding to it, it's those it's those small and and simple things. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the sayings that I, I love from Japan, one of the my favorite things I brought back uh, from my time there. Uh, again, really old guy, 
we had met and we had chatted back and forth and, and I found out this guy was interested in philosophy and peak performance. I was studying peak performance and human development. And so we ended up talking for a couple hours and uh, we got done. And just, as I was getting ready to leave his, his place. I was just putting my shoes on in the entranceway there and he stops me and, and he says, boy, man, all these principles we've talked about, these are true. These are right. If people follow these they are going to be happy and successful and accomplish big things. And then he says, but I, you got to remember there's one more principle. I'm like, I'm ready. He says, he says, no, I want you to promise me that you will remember this and never forget it. Okay, bring it. Yeah. So he, he you know, this big dramatic pause. This yeah. guy, he, actually, he was 94 years old. His name was Mr. Yamaguchi. Oh, cool. 94 years old. And he pauses and he says, Zo to you no wa kamude wa nai kero, mushi to you no wa kamude aro. And... And then he slid the door closed behind us. And so we're walking down the street, and I'm kind of translating this back and forth between <laughs> English and Japanese. And I think, what in the world is he talking about? And what he said was, elephants don't bite, but fleas do. Mm. Elephants don't bite, but fleas do. True principle. It's true that the big things in life tend to take care of themselves, but it's what we do with those little things that either holds us back or really propels us forward to the accomplishment of a goal or an objective uh, Olympic games are classic example. I love that. Always yeah. comes down to fraction of a point, hundredth of a second, width of a bike tire, length of a skate that yeah. usually makes a difference between being the gold medal champion and someone who just participated. Yeah. And the same thing's true, whether it's a relationship, whether it's your career, whether it's making a difference in your community. Uh, it's all those little fleas. It's those little things that, that really make the difference. Oh, I love that. That That is so interesting. We're so enriched by spending time in different cultures, yeah. aren't we? It, and mission experiences is a great part of that. Uh, obviously, life doesn't always go as you planned. You kind of live your life. You know, I, I know how you have had some interesting career adjustments and challenges, changes, et cetera. And um, what, what's been a challenge? You know, I, I don't want our listeners to get the feeling that uh, – Anyone has it all figured out because no. none of us do. No. And everyone's dealing with something. Everyone. That's right. And so um, tell us about a challenge that you've overcome that, that is uh, meaningful to you and might be helpful to uh, someone who's struggling right now. Yeah. You know, I think, I think understanding perspective is, is a big deal. Um, and I learned this uh, as I learned most things the hard way. Uh, and, you know, grow, growing up, I had, I had one goal growing up. And that was I wanted to play college basketball. That's awesome. And, I had the same goal. <laughs> and, you know, being a little vertically challenged, yeah. I, I knew that was going to be a, a big ask. Uh, but that was the goal. And for me, that meant six to eight hours a day in the gym, six days a week from the time I was in junior high. And, you know, I got to my senior year in high school and, and things were kind of shaping up and, you know, a few little interests in some small schools in the south. And, and everything was just the way I had planned. It's like, this is so awesome. Uh, but then as my senior year started to wind down, uh, so did my right shoulder. Ooh. And it got to the point where it would pretty much dislocate whenever it wanted to. Yeah, uh, I don't know if any, any of you have ever had that awesome experience of waking up in the morning on one side of your bed <laughs> and your shoulder's like way over on the <laughs> other. I mean, it was awful. Uh, I, went into the, I went into the doctor and he looked at it and uh, he just shook his head. And he says, we got to completely reconstruct this thing. And then he, then he just hit me in the gut and just said, your chances of playing competitive basketball are somewhere between slim and none. Wow. And, and I was devastated. I mean, that is so not fair. I had done everything right. I had paid the price. I had, you know, done all the things. And so I, I did, you know, the natural thing. I went into denial, Yeah. <laughs> kept playing, kept, it'll get better. It'll be, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And of course it didn't it just kept getting worse. Yeah. And then finally I, I had to have the surgery. And I will never, ever forget uh, one night I'm down in my room and I am just sulking to the max. It is so not fair. Feeling so sorry for myself. And the phone rang. And it was for me, which was rare. Again, seven sisters. I, you know, <laughs> phone was never for me. Uh, but it was a it was a gentleman who lived in our community, uh, very well known, very well respected. And he invited me to come over to his house. And I had no clue why he would want to talk to me or what he'd want to talk to me about. But I said, fine. And I jumped in the car and drove over to his place. And he met me at the front door. And he's a pretty, you know, gregarious, outgoing, you know, happy guy. Nothing. 
no handshake, no thanks for coming over. He just, he turns around, we walk back into his den and we sit down and he tells me this story. So he says, you know, there long time ago, uh, there was a, a little village and in that village, there was a, an old man and his only possession, his only form of wealth, his only way to provide for himself was his horse. And one night in this little village, there's a, a big storm, thunder, lightning, the horse gets spooked. And as it races around the corral, it breaks through one of the gates and it runs off into the desert. So the next morning, the people of the village go around assessing the damage from the storm and they get to the old man's place and they see the empty corral, the broken gate. And the people of the village say to the old man, oh, this is so awful. This is so terrible. Here, you've, you've lost your horse, your only way to provide for yourself. What an awful, what a terrible thing. And the old man looks at the people and he says, no, you don't know this is so bad. You don't know this is an awful or a terrible thing. Well, days go by and one night the horse returns and brings back with it 50 wild horses it's been running without in the desert. So now the people of the village all come to the old man's place, and now they're all saying, wow, this is so amazing. This is so wonderful. You have all these horses, all this wealth. You'll never have another worry. What a great, what a wonderful thing. And the old man looks at the people and says, you don't know this is so good. You don't know this is a greater, a wonderful thing. Well, the old man had a, a son who was one of the great young warriors in the village. He's, you know, spent a lot of time perfecting his skill with the sword and the sling. And one day he's out breaking in one of those new horses, and he's thrown. And his legs crushed. So never again is he going to use those skills he worked so hard to develop. Again, the people of the village come by. What a tragedy. How awful this great young warrior is now crippled. What an awful, what a terrible thing. But again, the old man looks at the people and says, no, you don't know this is so bad. You don't know this is an awful or a terrible thing. Well, it's not many days later. The, the cry of war is heard through the land. The warlords come through and they gather all those that are able to fight and lead them off to a terrible battle. And that was the end of the story. He said, I want you to remember that. And he immediately stood up, escorted me out of the house. I get in my car. I'm driving home. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of half waiting for Paul Harvey to come on, you know, with the, re the rest of the story. What's the parable? Yeah. What am I learning here? But that was the story. Yeah. And I remember, I remember being in the hospital and my friends and family and coaches, they all came to visit and they all started the same. He said, oh, boy, this is so awful. This is so terrible. You spent all these years, all those hours, and it's over. What an awful, what a terrible thing. And without even thinking, I'm responding, no, you don't know this is so bad. <laughs> you don't know this is an awful and terrible thing. And I'll tell you what, it wasn't. Yeah. It was probably the most important thing that ever happened to me. Huh. Because it was during that time of recuperation and then going through rehab and all of that, that I had time to focus on things that were a heck of a lot more important than making baskets or winning championships. And, and so the reason I share that as a, as a life point for me was that it's colored everything else that's happened because we know, we know some days it's hard to wake up in the morning. Yeah. Someday it, there are some people listening to this podcast today that may be still in bed. Yeah. That may be really frustrated with a with a child who's, you know, who's wandered off or they've just lost a job or they're about to lose their house. And all you can think of is this is so bad. This is so awful. This is so terrible. And we just don't know. And so you got to have this different perspective of you don't you know, it's hard. You know, it's painful. You know, it's difficult. But you do not know if it's good or bad. It just is. Yeah. And so learning to, to take that, and so that's helped me in all the career ups and downs and life lessons, is just that perspective of, yeah, you have a choice. The one thing you always have a, is a choice. And you can join the group griping, the pity party, the woe is me, the nightly news drama of everything is so bad, so awful, so terrible, or you can find the opportunity that's in it. Yeah. It's so much what we... Uh, apply meaning to, right? Like yeah. how, what meaning we apply to our That's experiences. Right. That's right. It's really about our self-talk, our perspective. Like yeah. you said, you're a masterful storyteller. <laughs> I just found my, aren't you? Do you love like storytelling? I, I guess and I, is that how you view your role in the, in the media per se? I mean, in, on your radio show and podcasts and stuff, like you're just a, I could just sit here and listen to you, you know? I, I, I have a single job yeah, and that is to create space for people to experience principles. Huh. And that's my job wow. is to just great. Uh, and I'll tell you, I, uh, the highest compliment I have ever received after giving a speech, uh, was up in Seattle, Washington 
It was a big leadership summit. I had spoken for six hours, you know, this big, long training. Wow. And this guy came up to me at the end, and he said, thank you for not getting in the way of the principles. Hmm. And that's my job because the principles do the hard part. The principles always ring true. And if you can create space so that people can safely step in, then they can have their own experience. And that's how you influence. That's how you make change. That's how you create space for people to maximize their potential or an opportunity or a, a, a movement. Uh, all of those things happen just because somebody was willing to create space so that others could have an experience and then drive it forward themselves. That is awesome. And this is so heartening to hear from one of the leaders in our media industry here in Utah. How much of the media I'm, feels that way, Boyd? I'm just, I'm just a dude with an opinion. That's kind of how it <laughs> What is the future of the media? Can it be saved? Like, what does the future look like? I'm speaking just generally. I, I'm curious because I love your perspective. I think if more people had your perspective, it would be so refreshing and, and would be so good for us. It seems like there are agendas that are not like that in the media that make it hard for that space to exist. And uh, like you said, there are people, groups – et cetera, that are very invested in keeping the status quo. Yeah. So what does the future of the media look like? And quote unquote, can it be saved? Or like, what is the optimism in the future of the media? You know, it's really interesting. Uh, I actually believe that after the election, again, first Wednesday of November, that's what I'm focused on. <laughs> that's uh, cool. And I actually do think there's going to be a an interesting inflection point, a hinge point. Uh, and it's going to be centered in the American people saying, OK, this didn't work and this didn't work. And again, it has very little to do with who wins. Uh, but if you look at the media landscape right now, if you just kind of diagrammed it out, there's yeah. this massive gap <laughs> yeah. in the middle. Yeah. And that movable middle of people who want to talk about free market economy, civil society, you know, you've got businesses and religious organizations and faith groups and volunteers and uh, all of those things that actually make the country extraordinary. And so I do think there's going to be a swing back to that. There's sort of a pendulum moment, I think. Uh, regardless people, of who wins. Regardless of who hope. wins. That's yeah. great. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think some of the media are finding that out. Uh, some of them will pivot uh, rather quickly and some will not. And those that pivot will, will lead out. Uh, and it's part of what I'm trying to be a part of is how do we create that kind of movement in that space so that voices like yours and conversations like this uh, become what that's what we just go to. Yeah. And we don't need to, to, to focus on the other. So I, I, I really think it's, it's a we the people issue uh, and not settling. I think probably the message we've heard most politically is it's just the way it is. Yeah. Things are hard. It's, it's just too – it is so hard in Washington, D.C. To get anything done. Uh, and, and it's just they're, – they're just pacifying us because, again, and dictators have used this as a strategy for thousands of years. Yeah. If I can convince the people that they're too divided to do anything, I get to stay in power. Yeah. And I think there will come a moment where the American people will say, wait a minute, you're not in charge. And they'll start to expect more instead of settle for less. That's awesome. Yeah, really, the people are in charge. And that this is the inspiration kind of behind this podcast is – how can we just put some more good content out there? Yeah. I know that's what you're interested in is just let's get good content into the market so that people have a choice and they can choose to consume or to not. But I agree with you. And I think that's I think it's a really interesting time. Obviously, one of the uh, experiences that you get to have that's unique and would be of interest, I think, to a lot of our listeners is you travel often with the church, the leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the prophet and apostles, I think, and others. Just curious, uh, any insights that you could share there or experiences or just thoughts that you've had uh, with traveling with these uh, leaders of our faith? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you one uh one observation uh, about President Nelson, uh, who's just an extraordinary soul at, at 90, almost 96 now, uh, he can outwork, outrun, outgun anybody. I <laughs> Outski. Mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I've seen him, you know, travel to three different countries in a single day yeah. uh, and still be just, you know, hopping along. But the one of the things that is most fascinating to me uh, is his leadership style. He has this side by side. We're in this thing together, leadership, 
that is extraordinary. And he does this thing. You can watch for this now, and you'll see it everywhere. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's it's linking and then locking arms. Yeah. I've, yep. And I've seen him do that with Pope, <laughs> yeah. with leaders of nations, with heads of civic organizations, with members of, of the faith. Uh, and it's just this very he'll physically subtle link arms. He right? will he will yeah. just he'll he'll come up to you and he'll just slide that arm in there. I was describing this to someone once, and they say, "Well, yes, he's ninety six. He's trying to balance himself." I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. Yeah. You need to understand this. When when he puts his arm in there, you better be ready because if you're not, he's going to rip your shoulder out of socket because he's because <laughs> he's going to link it first and then he's going to lock it." Yeah. Uh, I watched him do this with uh, uh, with Amos Brown. Amos Brown is uh, eighty seven or eighty eight. Uh, he was one of the last students of Martin Luther King Jr. This guy is a civil rights activist. Uh, he is the 17th paps, pastor of the historic Third Baptist Church of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And you watch he and, and President Nelson, they in their very first press conference together, they he did that. He just slid in there and they, they linked and then they just locked arms. And those two have just been unbelievable ever since. Uh, they wrote a joint op-ed uh, after some of the unrest and uh, and the riots that we've experienced this year. Uh, and interestingly, we go back to where we started in terms of community, compassion, self-reliance. They bonded over the church's self-reliance program. Interesting, yeah. That has now been adapted and is being taught in inner cities, tailored to minority communities and some of the unique challenges in those places. And the results are phenomenal because it rings true. And it doesn't matter what faith tradition you're from, yep. uh, but it's about linking and then locking arms, finding common purpose, uh, and then moving forward. Yeah, that's great. Those are great stories. And I'm sure unique experiences that you've had. Yeah. That's interesting. I do remember him doing that now, you know. That's going to be really cool to, to look And those at. are just brutal days. So, you know, this is not uh, yeah, you're you know, the, days, to keep the days up. start before 5 a.m. And if you yeah. finish before midnight, it's a good day. Yep. And uh, you, you go through all the travel and all of that. And then you got to write the story and produce the video and create the content after. And it's so much uh, work. It's a sprint. It is. Well, Boyd, it's been so good to have you on here. I'd love to just ask, what are you excited about? What What is in your, what work uh, do you have left to do? I know there's a lot. What are you thinking about? What are you excited about? And how could we help you? Uh, again, the purpose of this podcast is to unify us. It is to remind us that we have more in common than we have different, no matter our differences, and to realize that we can help each other. We're, we live in a society of comparison, yeah. and comparison is really the thief of happiness. Yeah. And so um, I, I want to create a unified community that is helping each other, that is lifting in ways that we can. So I'm curious. I always ask my guests what they're kind of excited about and focused on and how listeners might be able to help them. Yeah, you know, I, I think this uh, this whole idea of getting past the comparison, uh, I always say if uh, if you view your life through comparison, it's always fatal vision. And whether that's comparing, you know, your worst quality to someone else's best quality, you know, you've got a neighbor who's great at this, so you're you're horrible at it. So that's the comparison you make. Uh, and we just have to get past it. Social media just robs us of so much because the only thing you see is the the perfect meal with the perfect outfit, you yeah. know, with the perfect children. Yeah. Uh, and that viewing life through comparison is, is just always fatal vision. And so recognizing that I don't have to be you because you're you. Yeah. And you're, that's exactly what we need in this community. And then recognizing, hey, I have a unique set of skills and things that I can share. And if we both bring them together, and I'm not worried about how much you get or how much I get, uh, it's having this abundance mentality. There is enough and to spare. And I don't care what it is. Amen. Yeah. Whether absolutely. that's content, whether that's, you know, and people always say, well, wait a minute, you can't do this. In fact, I'll, I'll give you one just quick President Nelson example. And this goes back to his early days. So as many people know, President Nelson, uh, before he entered church leadership, was a world-renowned heart surgeon, one of the great innovators, the pioneers uh, in open-heart surgery. That when he went to school, he was taught that anyone who touched the human heart would be run out of the profession. Wow. So he's doing all of this research, all this trial. And, of course, there were others all around the country who were likewise committed to that. And he describes how they would get together and they would share notes and they would share this worked, this didn't work. We found this, we found that. And someone asked me, wait a minute, those are all your competitors. 
Those are the people who were, were competing for dollars, for notoriety, for fame, for, you know, money and career and all those things. Those were all your competitors. You're telling me you shared everything with them. And he looked, he was just, it was incredulous to him. He said, well, the, I wasn't competing against them. We were all competing against death. Yeah. And so there, there's this abundance mentality that I think we've sort of lost in society. And I love that's how you're framing your whole podcast is that everybody bring what you got. Yeah. And when we put it all together, that's where cool stuff happens. There is enough and to spare. Yeah. Uh, and the people that I admire most in Washington, D.C. and in business are the people who think that way. It's like, I don't care who gets credit. Let's just get the right thing done. done. And uh, we need more of that, not less. That's for sure. I mean, and we can em embrace each other and our differences, right? Yeah. Uh, we're divided on every front, and we can come together in, in important ways to get a lot of good things done. Yeah. Boyd, it's been awesome to be with you. Thanks for coming. Always on the good. Podcast. Anytime. You're doing great stuff and uh, keep it rolling. These are these are the these are the crucial conversations. These are the essential conversations that we need more of. And whether we're doing that online, whether we're doing that across the back fence or at the community center, uh, we need more of this kind of conversation than anything else. Because if we do that, then we can really confidently say, yeah, our best days are are still to come. That's for sure. I, I love the stories that you shared with us today. If you like more of this content, you can look for Boyd's articles in the Deseret News, his opinion pieces. And he's on the radio, KSL Radio, 11 to noon every day. Uh, it's been great to get to know Boyd on the uh, campaign trail. It's been good to be his friend now. And I'm so grateful that you'd come on the podcast here with us today. Thanks, Boyd. All right. So good to hear from Boyd Matheson and to hear his perspective on the media. I think it's different than you would assume, most of us would assume, and that most media look at things. It was refreshing to hear his stories and his love of Japan and all that he took from from that culture and the things that he learned. Boyd is a masterful storyteller. He's a unifier. He's someone that's in the community using his unique talents and position to try to do good. It is always easy to criticize. Let's rally around Boyd and other good media members doing their job, support them, help them to continue to write good stories. The most impactful thing to me and thought to me was that we're not as divided as the media says we're are. We're maybe not as divided as it feels. I love that thought. Again, there's always hope. There are always more things that unify us and bring us together than things that we really have different among us. And I love the Boyd reminded us today. Thanks for listening. Hope you loved it. See you next time. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Us Podcast with Jeff Burningham. Please help us grow by leaving a rating and review and subscribing at your favorite podcast platform. Also, tell your friends and share on social media. See you again next week.